Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 7, issue 323, continuing our journey through the numbered main Final Fantasy games with Final Fantasy 4, or as it was known at one time in America, Final Fantasy 2, but let's not worry about that, at least for now. You can play along with the next few podcasts. We're going to cover on Cane and Rinse these games, Resident Evil Remake, Biohazard. After that, it'll be Shovel Knight, then Hyperlight Drifter. After that, we return to the Mario Kart series with the Game Boy Advance Incarnation Super Circuit. And then, after 10 years, we look at Braid. Canorince.com is the place to go for the list, the full list up until the end of the year, and links to all our other bits and bobs, including articles and social spaces. You can support us and our efforts over at patreon.com slash for the minimum of a dollar a month, just 75p. You can get every show a week early and an exclusive monthly minicast with Jay and I as well. And the knowledge that you're helping us keep on doing the thing that we do with these podcasts. You can also donate at PayPal. There's a button on the site for one-off donations if you prefer. And as you should know by now, but so many of you still don't listen to Sound of Play. It's another podcast. You like this one, you'd probably like that one. Subscribe, listen to it, check it out. Review and rate this podcast and that one wherever you can. Tell your friends and follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter if you like. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 323, our returning Final Fantasy fan, Leah Haydu. Hi. First time in this series because... Well, because it's Final Fantasy IV, Sean O'Brien. Hello, hello. And returning Final Fantasy guest, John Salmon. Hello. Welcome, everybody. So, Final Fantasy IV, we're going to issue a big old spoiler warning. We will talk about characters and what may or may not happen to them, and the end of the game as well. And this one actually has a story, and it's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Developer is, of course, still Squaresoft, and uh, Square also published it originally. It's also had uh, various incarnations handled by different publishers, including EA, Nintendo, and Sony. Hironobu Sakaguchi returns as director. Uh, Designer is Takashi Tokita, who was also on Final Fantasy III. Tokita and Sakaguchi are the writers. And the composer is, once again, Nobuo Uematsu. Uh, there's not a huge amount to be said about the development of the game. We'll talk about what the jump in generations meant for the experience from the 8-bit NES or Famicom to the 16-bit world of the Super Famicom. But one little nugget that I found is that after Final Fantasy 3 was finished, the team started Final Fantasy 4 with the idea of a slightly more action-based dynamic overworld. And rather than keeping combat as a separate thing, but the project wound up not being 4 anymore and was eventually released as Seiken Densets 2, Secret of Mana, which we are covering in a future Kane Rinse podcast, issue 329. Interesting. So, the game came out originally in July 1991 in Japan, and scored a healthy 36 out of 40 in the famous Famitsu magazine. Uh, five or so months later, the game arrived in the US, and scored a still pretty de- pretty decent 38, uh, 32, sorry, out of 40 in Electronic Games magazine. Or is it EGM? Monthly 
Electronic Games Monthly? Uh, monthly, yeah. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> we used to be able to get that magazine over here for a time, but uh, it's right. been a while. Uh, so the original Super Nintendo release of Final Fantasy IV in the West was dubbed Final Fantasy II. It also removed several abilities the player-controlled characters could use in battles and was generally noticeably easier than the Japanese version. Square was worried that Western fans would find it difficult to adjust to the game's complexity due to not having played the previous two entries, so decreased the overall depth considerably. It's often thought that the original North American translation was a translation of Easy Type, which was a game, a version of the game that was released in Japan. But the translated version was developed before Easy Type, and the difficulty is reduced even further in Easy Type than in the North American version, which leads to speculation that Easy Type was based on the North American Final Fantasy II rather than the other way around. Major Gamer from the Kane and Rince forum says, I think people's thoughts on this game may differ greatly depending on what version of the game they play. The easy type version that was the original released outside of Japan, which as we've just heard, that isn't quite right, but that's what people think, may be good for beginners to the genre, but it is very true to its name. Many status effects are removed and enemy damage is decreased by a ridiculous amount to the point nothing in the game is a threat. Then there is the original release that despite their worry of pushing people away with its difficulty is still easier than any of the prior games games in the series. Lastly, you have the DS remake, which happens to be my favourite. That pumps things up greatly, where most things are a threat, but remain manageable as long as you use the resources that are available to you. So there's, a, there's quite a wealth of localization information. Uh, the North American translation, as was kind of commonplace back then, I guess these will be familiar to you, Leah and Sean. Some of the characters' names were changed. Gilbert the Bard was renamed Edward. The summon mm -hmm. monster Ramu became Indra. Uh, that release also omitted or censored some dialogue lines and scenes. Dancers wear their dresses all the time as opposed to the bikinis they wore in the Japanese version. The blade that was dangling over Rosa's head in the Tower of Zot became a big iron ball because... That's hmm. better. Somehow. I guess being smushed is no. less mm. controversial than being sliced. <laughs> uh, much of the dialogue concerning the relationship between Cecil and Rosa and other characters' jealousy was removed. Cecil and Rosa shared a passionate kiss after uh, after he rescued her in the Tower of Zot. The animation of them kissing was taken out. It's literally one frame, I think, of animation where they their kind of faces are kind of you know their sprites are like spammed together. Uh, but it does, it works, you know, in the way that those sure. uh, those animations do. Uh, most of the swear words removed, especially Palom's lines. Cecil and Kane had more developed background stories in the original version. In Castle Giot, there was an entire room removed, the programmer's room, where the player could talk to the developers and even fight some of them. That room contained a porno book that caused Cecil to have dirty thoughts when used. As they <laughs> often do. Yeah, I don't think that do. there's actually any other use for that, but because you listen, they have articles. Yeah, they have articles. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly. They only have articles now. The, the description is something like it's Cecil's favorite or something like that. Yeah. It, it really, you can use them, but it it he just well. Uh, yes, and of course we should mention we also have as well of localization. We have a slight difference as uh, the English Cecil and the American Cecil is ever so slightly different as well. Uh, same name though. Other changes include the removal again, uh, as we've heard with so many other games, of overt Judeo-Christian Judeo religious references and certain potentially objectionable graphics. For example, the magic spell Holy was renamed White, and all references to prayer were eliminated. The Tower of Prayers in Mysidia was renamed the Tower of Wishes. 
And really, what's the difference other than semantics? Direct references to death were also omitted, although several characters clearly died during the course of the game. That's debatable as well. We'll yeah, come back to that. The translation was changed in accordance with Nintendo of America's censorship policies at a time before the formation of the ESRB and its rating system. J2E Translations released an English language fan translation of the original game. The version is identical to the original in terms of game content and mechanics. However, many bizarre and humorous script changes changes were made in addition to the translation from Japanese. Being an unofficial translation and therefore not subject to copyright and censorship laws, this version included various references to pop culture, such as William Shatner and Penthouse magazine, and several off-colour lines, most of them uttered by Edge. The Western PlayStation re-release of the game included in the Final Fantasy Chronicles compilation restored all of the features of the original version with the exception of the character named Edward and a catchphrase related to him. You spoony bard. The English <laughs> translation of the SNES version contained a phrase that later became popular. At a certain point, the old mage teller tell, gets angry at the Edward, at the bard Edward and tells him, you spoony bard. The awkward phrase has become a cult favourite among fans when a new English translation was made for the PlayStation version. You spoony bard was kept intact for <laughs> old times sake. But what does Teller really call Edward or Gilbert in the Japanese version? In fact, the only word he says is kisama, literally precious image, one of the many Japanese words for the pronoun you. Despite the noble etymology, kisama is a very rough, insulting kind of you, using it as an equivalent to calling a person a bastard or a son of a bitch in English. We can only guess how this insulting you ended up translated as spoony bard. <laughs> Uh, we've got a bit more on Spoonie Bard later. Uh, so PS1 version followed in 1997. Uh, didn't review quite so well in the way that uh, games ported from previous gens often don't. Uh, Toza handled the port. The most notable change in that release uh, is the inclusion of full motion video, uh, an opening sequence, and the ability to run in dungeons and towns by holding the cancel button. I can't believe that wasn't the original now, having played it, uh, with run on locked on the whole time, and the ability to perform a memo save anywhere on the world map. Uh, there was a Wonderswan colour version. GBA version arrived also by Toza, 2005-2006. That reviewed in the 80%. Uh, it was known for having a few bugs and technical issues. The DS remake, though, this was Matrix Software handling the, the same team as who handled that version of Final Fantasy III that you all played uh, last month. Um, 85% for the DS remake. Uh, Chibi-style polygons, as per that previous game. Uh, a vocal version of the theme of love and some voice work in the cutscenes. And a completely retranslated and revised script by Tom Slattery. This is where the summons became Eidolons. Mr. Ixalite from the forum says, After having it on my shelf for literally a decade, I finally tried out the DS remake in preparation for this podcast. I expected some quality of life improvements and a graphical overhaul. What I did not expect was the completely revamped difficulty. Low difficulty has been to the occasional detriment of the series, so I initially embraced the increased challenge and altered boss behaviour. However, in time it grew more frustrating than fun, with the game practically daring you not to grind. The option to switch on auto battle seems like a cruel joke, considering how easily random monsters can destroy a mindlessly attacking party. In terms of aesthetics, the 3D overhaul still feels kind of inferior to the clean sprites of the original, and I'm not sure the occasional fully voiced cutscene added much to the experience. In contrast, the seriousness of the presentation 
translation could undermine the melodramatic nature of the text. Seeing a chibi-fied Cecil spread his arms and scream, Why? as the camera zoomed out, made me snort with laughter, which I don't think was the intended response. Plus, what they did to Sid's design is downright criminal. <laughs> He's basically made all the points I was going to make over yeah. the next couple of hours, yeah. so I guess I'll go and watch that Microsoft press conference. <laughs> <laughs> I mode Easy Web and Yahoo versions. Yep, they happened in 2009-2010. PSP version uh, reviewed just under 80% in 2011, converted by a company called Bullets. Uh, the iOS Android versions in 2012 to 2013 reviewed pretty well based on the uh, DS version, but higher resolution, as you'd expect. The Windows version that's available on Steam is also based on that version, also higher resolution, as you'd expect. That came in 2014. Current sort of uh, opinion on the game hovers around 8.8 uh, 8 on Nintendo Live for the US Super Nintendo version, 8.6 for the DS version. Moby Games, 3.5 out of 5, so a 7 out of 10 over there. The game sold 1.4-odd million copies on the Super Famicom by 2003, including remakes. Over 2 million copies sold worldwide. As of 2007, nearly 3 million copies of the game have been sold. Uh, with the DS version selling over a million copies. So, and as it stands in 2018, across all versions, four to five million copies of Final Fantasy IV have been sold. Phew, right. I've got a question at this point, actually. Mm -hmm. Which one of these versions was the first one that got an actual power release? The PS1 version. So it's not one of these ridiculous situations like Chrono Trigger, where it didn't come out in the, this part of the world until like 2009 then? It was late. I think it was probably about 2000, 99 or 2000, something like that on the PS1. So just a late PS1 release. Yeah. And then the, if it wasn't that, then the uh, then the GBA version. So 2006 mm. is, is as late as it could have been. But yes, once again, you're quite right. Um, we, we weren't exactly... Uh, we we don't have the same history with this game as uh, mm. Americans and certainly not Japanese. So speaking of which, Sean, this obviously mm. uh, was the first one in this series that you wanted to join us for. So why is right. that? You got a you got a history with this game? Just jumping back like a little bit previous to that. So I had played um, just a little bit of Final Fantasy one. So but not nearly enough to even talk about it. So just when I saw Final Fantasy two on the shelves, I, I must have been like ten or eleven. Uh, when you talk about Final Fantasy one there, okay. Is that uh, actual Final Fantasy? Yeah, it would have been because because the right. Americans missed two and three, didn't they? That's exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so cool. so I so I mean, like I said, I was like ten or eleven, so I didn't even yeah. know anything about two and three existing outside of you know nope. America. So sure. I saw Final Fantasy two pop up, and so like I wasn't. I remember not being like crazy, like, oh my God, I got to play this. But I remember, oh, I remember Final Fantasy 1 just a little, a little bit. So I, I'll yeah. try the second one. Sure, I'm, I'm playing everything I can on my Super Nintendo at this point. So why not? I remember uh, somehow acquiring that game, uh, whether mm -hmm. it be rental or purchase, I don't know. So I, I remember playing it uh, a ton at the time. And just, and just this would probably have been my first like full... See, I can't remember for sure, but I, I'm mm. pretty sure this was like my first time experiencing a game that had like a full actual story in it like you know up right. until now i've been playing like super mario and legend of zelda and they had like you know yeah. castlevania yeah really brief moments of story in there here and there but for me at the time like that that's this was my first time that this like epic long multiple hour journey um so it like i remember it, it blowing my mind at the time <laughs> like playing right. it now i'm like oh this is cute but uh, it's just at the time i was like this is incredible this is the 
craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I just, yeah. I, I played it so much at the time, like repeated playthroughs all the time. And, and, um, and, and to this day, it's still like the most I've ever played of a Final Fantasy game. Um, so that's why I really wanted to jump on this podcast because it's my, it's just my favorite Final Fantasy game. So. So as we haven't heard from you before on, mm-hmm. on this series, what's your yeah? What's your what's been your relationship post this with JRPGs? Anything? Um, yeah, here and there. Um, I, so I played. I pretty much played like all like the I guess the greatest hits of the Final Fantasies. I played ten, okay. seven. Um, I dabbled with like some of the others. Like I played a little bit of eight, you know, and and a mm-hmm. little bit of fifteen. Um, but uh, just mostly the 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 biggest uh, the greatest hits. And then outside of that, I guess. Um, Oh God! Why am I blanking now? Persona uh, Four and a little bit right. of Five, you know, sure. here and there. So yeah, but this was have been my first uh, actual experience with the genre. Mm. Unsurprisingly, yeah. Uh, but yeah. you're versed in the customs anyway. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Leah. So we know uh, your history with the series, and you've been the ones you hadn't played before. You've now caught up with. But were you there early days with Four? Not really. Um, uh, earlier than earlier than three, <laughs> but I didn't play Four until the. PS1 port came out the uh, chronic is it the Chronicles version? Yeah, I think it was on it was on Chronicles. It was a compilation of yeah, because there's there, I, I always get them confused uh, because there's the is it one Chrono Trigger and four. Yes, there's one that's Chrono like Trigger that. and four, and then there's yeah. a different uh, compilation that's five and six, and they were both for PS1, and I always get Anthology, the names confused. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah. that was the version that I played first. I had my my first Final Fantasy was actually seven, um, so I did not get around to others. Um, I I kind of started spreading out pretty much immediately and just. Per- procuring whatever other whatever other uh, copies of games in the series I could get to and this was the one that I got I did not have a, a Super Nintendo at the time so mm. this would have been my first um, my first experience with Final Fantasy 4 on the uh, the PlayStation 1 and uh, I really enjoyed it at the time and I've played it several times since I've played the uh, the DS version I have played mm-hmm. that one and then um, most recently I've played I, and I played this before as well but uh, the one that I kind of did a replay on for the show is the PSP version uh, which yeah. I think is a, a pretty good version and uh, I had a overall a, a pretty good experience with that uh, but yeah, I've I've um I've been through this a few times on uh, on different consoles with uh, varying degrees of uh, of reverence for for the uh, uh, for the game. But yes, I I know this one pretty well, and overall a little bit more positive than maybe you might have heard on other shows in this series that from me. But uh, yeah, that's cool. It's, it's a good uh, it's a good game. That's cool. Um, yes, and you'll be able to having played it through multiple times. You'll you'll certainly be be much more familiar with the the story than I am. John, so you've come along with us uh, for this ride. Uh, it started off because you hammered Final Fantasy 1 on your Windows phone and uh, yeah. and here we are now up to 4. So um yeah, uh, as uh, as we know, you uh you played this for the show. That's yeah, that's right. I bought it about Christmas time when I realized I was going to sign up and do a bunch of these early games and yeah, I've played it over about a month ago on the DS version. I don't know why I ended up with the DS version. I think cuz I couldn't handle playing another one on my phone after playing <laughs> two. Yeah. Uh, and it seemed like the easiest way to get hold of it otherwise. But yeah, I've played it over the course of the last few weeks and yeah, it's been something. You only just made it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I only just made it. Uh it yeah, uh, I didn't think I was going to finish it at one point. Yeah. 
well, interestingly, we're recording this on a Sunday evening. Uh, originally, we were going to be recording on a Saturday, but uh, John asked for the, the show, to, the recording to be put back, which, as it turned out, was pretty much necessary from my point of view, because I also, I mean, it's a lot of it is really my own time management, partly my own fault, um, partly because the game kind of went on a bit longer than I was expecting it to, based on the first 10 or 15 hours. <laughs> that last dungeon's kind of a bear. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I ended up finishing it about 1am this morning or something um, after, well, we'll get into my experience of the second half of the game. But uh, yes, I've been playing the PSP version on the Vita uh, and we'll talk about sort of what we'll talk about how the art varies between the versions and so on. But first, we need to go back and hear from uh, Chaos9001, who was there at the time. Uh, Final Fantasy IV on SNES was the very first RPG that I ever played. It was a gift from a family friend for my ninth birthday and, like Sean, it blew my mind. Mm -hmm. Before this game, I had mostly played Mario games, so to be hit in the head with immersive story from the onset was fantastic. I had a lot of trouble when I first started with the Antlion because my only strategy was hit monster with sword. And if that didn't work, my next strategy was hit monster with sword. Thankfully, the kid next door helped me a little bit with strategy. And after that, I would just use Summon to send that dastardly antlion to the suite hereafter. I went on to beat this game several times in the SNES era. This game is wholly responsible for my love of the Paladin class due to the epic redemption arc Cecil goes through on Mount Ordeals. This game has continued to be the one that I go back to from time to time. The DS remake got me through a particularly tedious Army Reserve annual training or two. I recommend this game to anyone who loves turn-based RPGs. And to counter something that was said in the Final Fantasy III show, I'm pretty sure that Fat Chocobo shows up in the space whale that you fly to the moon. You're absolutely mm -hmm. right. Okay, so let's talk about the scenario and story. Uh, we won't go back on what we've heard before. Please listen to those podcasts uh, if you are unfamiliar. But here is where perhaps they started to uh, spread their wings a little in terms of storytelling. Um, the maximum cartridge capacity uh, was probably more megabits than they had on the Famicom, on the, on the Nintendo Entertainment System, but it still posed limitations, and developing an expansive narrative-driven adventure was, was a challenge within that available space. Uh, Takashi Tokita, the game's lead designer, wrote the scenario but had to cut it down to a quarter of what he had written to make it fit, although some of the cut material would make it into that 3D remake version. So we start in the military country of Baron, and they have a, a majestic air force known as the Red Wings. However, recent actions of the king make even the most loyal of his subordinates doubt his judgment. Uh, the captain of the Red Wings, Cecil, or Cecil, is ordered to attack the city of Mycidia and take the water crystal from innocent magicians who protect it. Uh, Cecil questions the king, king's orders and is immediately banished from the country, sent off to deliver a package instead, accompanied by his best friend Kane. A dragoon captain uh, but of course little does he realize the king is being uh, manipulated uh, and that sets us on our way now the thing that struck me and i mentioned this to josh who's uh, not joining us for this one but i believe is is playing along with the show was the opening compared to the previous games of your heroes go off and find the light or <laughs> get a crystal or something like that here you've actually got something to get your teeth into you're killing mm. innocent people there's a reason uh, you're going you're to get a that crystal guy. this time yeah. yeah you orphan someone uh, and it's like whoa yeah. blimey um, so that yeah that got me off to a good start but I have issues with how the story ends up being paced in the second half and where it ends how about you guys I really enjoy that um, and this is uh, kind of a, a story thing but it it ties into the story that your party 
changes a lot through the course mm. of the uh, of the game and it's always real characters like it, it's not just oh you're getting a mage and yeah they all, they all do have their own uh, kind of gameplay mechanics sometimes you will have a white mage sometimes you will have a monk but it's not they're not really interchangeable they're there for story reasons and mm-hmm. when they are not part of the story anymore then they leave the party in one way or another and are replaced mm-hmm. uh by someone else so it's i think that that's kind of a neat dimension to the storytelling is it's it's storytelling through party composition um and as you mentioned leon you do start out as a villain you don't start yeah. out as this this uh kind of paragon of virtue and part of the story is how you get to being the good guy, uh, how you kind of have this moment where you realize what it is that you're doing and why you need to not be doing just mm-hmm. exactly what your boss says anymore. And that that gets you into a lot of trouble. You know, you get thrown out of the country, your best friend turns against you. It It's not a really easy arc for Cecil to go through. And I think that that's um, A, really cool, and B, something that you... Have, honestly hadn't I, I can't think of anything else really prior to that that had done something quite that way it's not yeah. something that you see as often as the standard here's your weapons here is your partner go off and save the world because mm-hmm. there's a princess and everything is uh everything <laughs> yeah. is awful and i don't know maybe the moon's gonna crash into the planet or something yeah monsters i yeah. don't know just go <laughs> Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. When when I talk about this game, like blowing my little ten year old mind, it's it's really the 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 transformation from Dark Knight to Paladin. Like mm-hmm. playing it playing it now, <laughs> like it's so much earlier in the game than I remembered it being back in yeah. the day. Like in my yeah. head, it was like you had this long journey as the Dark Knight, and like it was about halfway, a little over halfway through the game is when you make the switch. And like, nah, it's like the first like quarter of the game maybe where that yep. happens, and it's and it's a little less uh, epic like coming to it yeah. now. Um, but man, at the time, like that was the coolest thing. Like you, you have to fight yourself. Like that's what? That's so crazy. <laughs> but like right now, it's like it's just a, it's a it's a cute little thing that happens. But <laughs> we've seen but, it a lot of times since, of course. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And 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 I will agree that I don't remember thinking this back then at the time, but certainly playing it now, where the story goes. Uh, at the end, when we end up on 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 the moon, and yeah. and and there are moon people, and you're half moon person, like what are you talking about? <laughs> nope, <laughs> like yeah. like it's just it gets really silly. But that's video games for you. <laughs> it certainly was back in in mm-hmm. 1991, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, for me that was the, mm-hmm. the part of the issue is that that redemption, which I I was hoping would be no, you know, it's 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 an archetype and a trope of a story, but. Sure there's always uh there's always you know something human to get your teeth into but for me it happened i think about a quarter of my game time in yeah as you said so after that you're just left with the kind of soap opera which which gets (laughs) sillier and sillier and there's Mm -hmm. these characters dropping in and out and you you know you kind of get to know them a little bit but there's not that much script to to really get to know them properly i mean you know there's more animation of them doing cute things because it's 16 bit and not 8 bit um but really once that had happened it was always a bit of a it's like oh where do we go and of course where we do where we do go is the fact that in in the end the big bad is someone you didn't even know about <laughs> until mm, yeah until the yeah. end so yeah. it's, uh, it's, i was a bit disappointed yeah i i think I, and i i mentioned that i i really like that they they switch up the party composition but i will agree that it does work better with some characters than it does with others um mm-hmm. 
most notably, I think, like the characters like Rosa and Kane, who kind of leave the party and come back once or twice um, and, and are more central to the story, work better than like the little eight-year-old mages, Palum and Porum, who <laughs> kind of show up and then just sacrifice themselves for you, except not really. So I, yeah. they maybe didn't yeah. work quite as it, it. It does vary, but overall, I really like how that uh, how that's used. So, John, mm. you've spoken a lot about uh, how you've been the most positive, I think, about the, the previous three Final Fantasy games on the podcast overall. And that means that says to me that you enjoy the stuff we're going to talk about later in the show. You know, the grinding, the progression, the leveling up, sure. the, the loot and all that. So now this game clearly has gone a little bit further than each of the we, we've said each each game's come on a little bit in terms of trying to tell a story. But this one is seems to be a bit of a leap forward. Did mm. this? Did, does this help you enjoy the game? Did you, did you care? Did you get in, engaged and and empathise with the characters and story? Does uh, that help your experience? It's it's a weird double edged sword, I think, for me because you're right. I do like I'm I'm coming into this more interested in the mechanics of the game and the yeah the actual what you're doing mm -hmm. rather than the storyline behind it because. I mean, let's face it, it might have been revolutionary in 1991 to have, you know, a fleshed out storyline with characters and things. But coming to play this in May 2018, it's, you know, it's hardly anything that I've not seen a million times before and done better. And characters who, in my experience of this game, are probably a little bit too archetypal and cliched and... You know, there's there's very little subtlety or nuance to to what's going on. I mean, you've got I don't know. I, I don't want to be I don't want to be too critical of something that's you know maybe it's just because I didn't have the greatest time of it. But yeah, I'm I think the other the other thing that I found difficult with it was that the the way that they justify the storyline, the characters coming in and out of the storyline to me had a negative effect on the gameplay mm. because you're suddenly flipping back and forwards from, you know, characters who are high level, who you've spent five hours playing with and grinding with suddenly leaves your party and, you know, 20 minutes later get replaced by a character that's 20 levels below. And you're just thinking, Oh, oh do they <laughs> not? Cause I thought they leveled up kind of with you as even when they're not with you. Depends I mean, on the they might, it, they might level oh, okay. to the point where the game expects you to be, but to, you know, take a, a large leap further ahead, probably, I don't know exactly where in the mm. game, like what percentage of the way through, probably sort of two thirds of the way through when you're in the underworld. And I think you quite quickly lose two characters you've had for a while. You lose Yang, who at that point mm -hmm. in my game was, I think he was like level 55. And I just spent about two hours grinding to get all of the characters up to about that level. He leaves your party never to return <laughs> and gets replaced by yeah. somebody who I think came in at a level 40. And then very soon after that, you lose another character who was in the mid 50s and gets replaced by, I think, Edge, who came in at level 30, huh. which was painful because I'd spent mm. hours grinding just beforehand, then only to realize well, this, uh, this guy's just going to get wiped immediately bring on another couple of hours of grinding to get him up to the point where the character who just left was. So I think the storyline in some ways frustrated me because it negatively impacted the the gameplay in that one. I mean, it's it's a fairly specific 
complaint, you know, fairly specific instance to to be saying it wasn't great. But for I mean, <laughs> we've sort of touched on this that the the DS remake was supposedly somewhat longer mm-hmm. and quite a bit harder, mm. and to have the the difficulty that was already there, especially towards the back end of the game, yeah. also slightly compounded by the the way that the game wanted to tell its story. Uh, by the time I got to the end, I was tearing what little hair I've got left out. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> thanks to the patrons for uh, for, by, for providing you with this horrific experience. No, I'm sure well, no, it was all I, I mean, I, I chose this one. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. Um, yes, on this uh, on this subject, it is indeed the first. Uh, Final Fantasy to take the story into outer space beyond the uh, the regular globe or, you know, whether it's the same planet or not, we don't really know. But it's another blue planet, which is probably Earth or Earth-like. However, we end up on the moon. Uh, in a piece for Kotaku in August 2016, Jason Schreier says, uh, You may expect after 20 or 25 hours of chasing Golbez around the planet who you think is the the main antagonist, that your hunt will end with an epic boss battle against him. But no, as it turns out, he was brainwashed by some nasty alien who pops up at the end of the game and reveals himself as the real final boss. Final Fantasy IV's otherwise excellent storytelling is undermined by this dumb twist. Okay, did anybody else expect that this was going to go to the moon? Like, did the game show its hand to anybody else? No, I think it pretty much just goes... Hey, we have to go to the moon now, and everybody's like, "Okay, yeah, sure." Mm-hmm. Eh? There are mentions of the moon from early, aren't there? Mm. Because it's about they, they talk about how bridging oh, the, yeah, the, the, the bad guys can uh, bridge uh, somehow build a bridge or a pathway to the moon, and there they can access hitherto unimaginable power. And there's the myth or the legend or whatever it is that keeps popping up about somebody one born of the moon or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't recall quite what it is, but uh, yeah. that that does come up a couple of times. You memorize this stuff. Come on. I, uh, <laughs> one listen, born I'm... of a dragon. Dot, dot, dot. That's <laughs> yeah, what yeah. I wrote down. Okay, sorry. Born of a dragon, so not the moon. Dragon born. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is the prequel to Skyrim. Um, yeah. Regarding the uh, the twist, uh, that that particular twist. Okay, so if they had done a better job of signposting that maybe Golbez wasn't really acting under his own power, then I kind of would have liked the bit where he, you know, decides to join your side and uh, you find out that he is Cecil's brother and that, you know, it's it's all a great trap. The, the part that bothered me was that once you get that twist, the real villain you this is somebody that you it's a character you've never seen like you haven't even heard his name it's yeah. it's he has literally not shown up at all until this point so mm. that was the part that bugged me if they'd if they'd at least worked that in a little bit then i think that that would have gone a lot better towards the end mm. for me at least yeah i mean you could you could kind of imagine that it might happen because that's been a theme that's gone throughout the game so far you've had the king and baron who's been Mm-hmm. you know corrupted mm-hmm. by some outside force and Kane and it's a really strong part of Kane's storyline like mm. a really sort of in your face part sure. that he's been brainwashed and he sort of flip flops back and forth between whose allegiance he's well mm-hmm. I guess who's whether or not he's being mind controlled so I mean it's it's not like a wild leap to have guessed something like that I don't think but I mean does it actually do anything positive to the story, though? That's That was my yeah. question. Yeah. It's like, okay, it's now a moon monster and <laughs> he reveals his true true form and he's kind of a Giga-esque kind of biomechanoid mm-hmm. mess of a monster. You know, I had a fight with him. 
and I won. And then I was like, okay, you know, it's a it's a video game end boss, whatever. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. But it didn't it didn't have me coming away from Final Fantasy IV thinking, wow, what a great twist, what a great story. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like, okay, it was a moon monster all along. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I feel like I would have appreciated the like the actual kind of tying tying up what felt like loose ends and stuff earlier on if it had have just turned out to have been Golbez who you fought at the end or mm. you know if the whole twist hadn't have happened it would have felt like a more kind of satisfying yeah. combination to the story this guy that you've been chasing all the way through and you've had what two or three mock fights with him before and that sort of thing ending stories is really hard yeah agreed and mm. and, and also like Golbez at least for me anyway, especially at the time. And honestly, kind of now, like, I, th- I felt like he was a, a, a good enough, like, or not even good enough. He's a pretty good villain. I felt like his music was really uh, imposing. Uh, every time he would pop up, he gets that weird, you know, evil theme to him and everything. And, 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 I, and I, I did not like him from the start. Like, he was very, I just thought he was a pretty good villain. And, and you know, you are kind of building your way up to this fight. And and it just doesn't happen. Um, so, yeah, I just agree that it's just, it's kind of a bummer that he's not the the ultimate villain in the end mm. he looks like a good villain as yeah well. he's got like a great big, look to big him. set yeah. of armor that he wears he'd, he'd be a cool fight yeah well away from the uh the main villain and whatever else uh so we really are introduced to a a set of characters with names and backstories here uh, in fact although they're not mentioned if ever that I can recall in the PSP version I played with that translation, they've actually got surnames, some of them, Cecil Harvey, uh, Kane Highwind, um, whereas Sid in this game is a Polandina, uh, Edward Chris Von Muir, and so on. Um, so did you have connections, attachments to these characters based on what writing there is in the game, Leah? I, I don't know that I necessarily had specific connections to anyone in particular. I thought that they made a pretty decent cast. Like I said, I wasn't overly mm. thrilled with all of them palam and Porum, the mages kind of got under my skin a little bit but um but we're okay mm-hmm. i mean i didn't hate them um it, uh, yeah i comic relief aren't they yeah i mm. and and yeah. i mean that's fine yeah. i i um i guess if i uh if i were looking at a a favorite character from this i kind of um i i do like um what they did with ridia uh who yeah. is a character we haven't really talked about her yet um but Mm -hmm. you meet her pretty early on she is in the village that you kind of inadvertently go destroy um it's the the suicide mission that you get sent on very early on before cecil has had his uh his redemption arc and uh, she is this little girl who comes from a village of summoners and who her mom is killed in the uh, in the attack and uh, she travels with you for a little while and then you get separated and when she comes back she's kind of been in this other world where she has not only aged very rapidly um, because you know you have to have the hot lady uh, in your party from from there uh, mm. but yeah w- when you get Rydia back she is uh, much older and she has also uh, learned a lot of different spells and her um, she loses the ability to use any kind of healing white magic but she also picks up the ability to summon more 
more various creatures and uh, her black magic gets more powerful. Uh, and you can go on some optional excursions with her and uh, obtain even more summons, which is pretty important because if I had not had the Bahamut summon, I would have had a real hard time with some of that mm, later. Yeah. Um, I was a little underleveled going into the last dungeon and I did fine, but um, yeah, there I it would not have gone too well if uh, if I had not had that going on. But uh, yeah, I, I I guess she's probably one of the characters that I liked the most through the story. But I, I think that they work well as an ensemble. Sean, as a kid, did you mm. find, obviously you're saying that the the, the concepts, the overarching concepts kind of blew mm-hmm. your mind and stuff as, as a young kid. But did you feel attachment to, to the characters? Yeah, uh, totally. Um, mm. I, I was really into, uh, see, uh, I kind of was like, huh, earlier when Leah mentioned Palm Porn, because when I was a kid... I guess maybe I don't know if I was just relating to them more you as, could as identify, younger. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So they were but like little what brats. If you could cast magic like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I, I don't know. It's just um. Yeah, I like them a lot. I enjoyed Sid. I kind of still enjoy Sid. Like he's just really goofy. Yeah. Um. His. I will agree with that comment made earlier in the podcast that his DS version mm-hmm. of him, the DS version of him, is just embarrassing like I, I don't know what they were thinking uh with that uh remade He's version get shot out of a can <laughs> right yeah um um but i say yeah, i just i really enjoyed his character a lot and and um some of the characters um uh, like uh yang i didn't really um i, I guess I, just, I feel like there's not much to his character or his arc I, he just he just ends up i feel like it's really early on for him to jump out of that um airship and die like i i just I just caught i die yeah well yeah quotes yeah. In, at the time that's what quotes. it felt like anyway i i did i found myself um actually pretty attached to tella especially when he he dies um he does die yeah he He's actually does the only one who actually he is the only right him and dies, his and his daughter i guess uh, yeah. even though she's not really a part oh, of yeah, party. Okay. Um, hold on i thought teller is there at the end when they're all kind of praying on the kind moon of, he kind of does appears. an obi-wan kenobi thing like oh, okay, i think yeah. that's that's what that is <laughs> yeah oh well okay, at, at the time I, I just remember i was like oh man i really like that guy a lot and mm. and, and he has um, some so cool spells yeah he had some yeah. great spells a bit, yeah. a bit more about teller uh coming up but uh but john did you have any favorites or or unfavorites from the character cast um, I agree that I liked the fact that Rydia actually had a an arc from being like a you know sort of innocent victim of the um, the war or the the struggle whatever it whatever you want to refer to it as to then sort of grow up and get really really powerful and by the end of the game yeah with all the summons that she ends up getting she's she's probably like the best damage dealer at the end so that was kind of cool to get that whole. It's like her whole life arc, and then at the end, she's sort of living in the um, the village with all the eidolons. Um, but uh, Kane was kind of too broody and flaky. Rosa was generally quite good because she was quite. Um, I think you got sort of teased quite early on that she was probably going to end up being your white mage, and yeah, then it sort of yeah. took it took longer than you expected it to before you actually ended up getting her in the party. But mm-hmm. with um, yeah, alongside. Cecil, I guess she's probably your like the main one who you get and then stays on. So, and the the relationship that's between them that I think you kind of get hinted at, but it's not really that well spelled out. And because it's just little chibi characters with very little um, by way of cutscenes and stuff. Uh, so the one constant is uh, Cecil. This is not one of the games, at least one 
in the future, I know, does away with the main character for a time. I don't know if that's a... We'll, we'll, we'll see. Andy Corrigan, who uh, was meant to join us in the last show, but we couldn't make it work. Hopefully we'll still get him on at some point in the future. Bit of a Final Fantasy expert going through the series for IGN back in September 2017. He wrote, as you can tell from its opening, Final Fantasy IV features some of the series' darkest moments so far, and most of the characters that join Cecil have had their lives touched by darkness in some way. And there's a brilliant disparity in how each of them processes that. Uh, which I thought was an interesting comment. Andrew Brown from our forum says, uh, Cecil begins Final Fantasy IV, a villain of the I was just following orders variety, having voluntarily become a dark knight at the behest of the King of Baron. But when his conscience starts to get the better of him, he outlives his usefulness and Baron sends Cecil off on a suicide mission. These events begin Cecil's redemption arc, but as a dark knight, he is too corrupt to defeat the villain. At the peak of Mount Ordeals, Cecil is purified and confronted by his shadow archetype, his Dark Knight self, taken hostile form. Cecil's Dark Knight and Paladin classes are contrasts. The Dark Knight is concerned with violence and cruelty. Cecil may harm himself to damage enemies, and he offers no defence or support to his allies. The Paladin, while a powerful warrior in its own right, is also concerned with defence and healing, able to directly intervene and take hits meant for his less stout allies. These lessons are underscored in the unorthodox boss encounter. Cecil, newly transformed into a paladin, cannot defeat his shadow through violence, but rather through non-violence. The Dark Knight uses its self-harm ability to bludgeon paladin Cecil, and if Cecil responds in kind, he will, he will succumb first. But if Cecil defends every turn instead, the Dark Knight's blows will be muted and it will eventually succumb to his own self-harm ability. Purified of the darkness within in him, Cecil leaves the mountain with his companions a changed man, ready to challenge the King of Baron once and for all. This mechanically simple boss fight, by subverting what we've come to expect from Final Fantasy mechanics, carries with it a lot of subtext. The evil Dark Knight Cecil would eventually destroy itself in its struggle, while the noble and selfless Paladin Cecil would endure the darkness and emerge victorious. This is underscored later when the plot introduces Golbez, Cecil's brother, who embraces the darkness within himself for power. Where Cecil the Paladin protects and supports his allies, Golbez the Dark Sorcerer manipulates and controls them. Like Cecil, Golbez's corruption is the result of an outside force, but Golbez embraces his darkness. In the epilogue, as Cecil becomes a hero to the world and becomes a king, Golbez is rejected by his brother and goes into exile. Where Cecil lives on as a triumphant, redemptive hero, Golbez retires a tragic anti-hero. Final Fantasy IV is one of my favourites in the series because of the stellar character work that exists under its limited script. My issue with the uh, fake out deaths is that it undermines any drama mm -hmm. in the story um yep. palamon yeah, poron yang agree. and sid all die in inverted commas and all get found again um sid, weirdly sid a couple of times and rydia actually you think she's uh yeah. rydia and edward both uh when you get yeah, to, yeah right yeah, yeah. And I, I missed, as I say, I, I don't know every story beat from three, but I remember two, we had several deaths, didn't we? Quite several permanent actual deaths of characters. Yeah, um, I, I actually drew quite a lot of comparisons between this and two because it follows a similar, mm -hmm. um, like the, the way that the party works where you have a couple of characters who are permanent and then the sort of the fourth slot, I think, in two rotates between yeah. characters who come in and out yes. and they're all when they come in they're kind of more set classes than the ones that you've currently got so you get the 
the guy who comes into your party is a monk. And I guess at that point you've got a couple of hours where he's there you can mess around with. Mm. Um, but yeah, it reminded me a lot more of two than of three. I guess five then goes more yes, along the it's three a bit like route, so. At this point, it was a bit like the Star Trek movies, wasn't it? Only not necessarily about the <laughs> whole good, bad good thing, but it was more about the um, yeah stylistics. They were uh, the evens were were different to the odds kind of thing, and 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 but yeah, we'll we'll get more into that. But yes, um, three and five I think share more in common mechanically, and two and four is that fair? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that two and four share mechanically, but um... okay. More like four and six, I would say. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anything from you, Leah or Sean, on the fake out deaths? Does that did that bother you? Did it again? Did for me, it didn't add anything really. It was I. I didn't it's, like them enough for for when I met them again to go. Hey, mm. they're they're alive. I don't and know. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's kind of odd because it it's not. You don't find out until much later on in the story for the most part or maybe not much later but later uh that these characters didn't actually die um so you get kind of the dramatic they have sat the, the example that i keep thinking of is uh the the mages uh palam and Porum, um essentially you're going to be crushed and they turn themselves to stone to keep the uh to keep the walls from kind of closing in on you and and to keep you from being trapped which is you know a very selfless thing and whether you think that you have earned that from them at this point in the story or not yeah it's it's <laughs> uh, which you know that's questionable on its own but um yeah. but you know it's mm. supposed to be this very noble and selfless gesture and then at the end of the game they pop up and it says oh the elder came along and he cast uh he cast soft on us and we're fine now uh so it's i I don't know it's Hmm. you get that hit and then it all gets taken back considerably later so i'm not sure what the point is of of taking it back Mm. Mm. i feel like it's just been a more mechanical thing rather than sort of ties into the story well of just Mm. how are we going to get different characters and different classes in and out of your party Mm. and (laughs) i guess kind of make different challenges and stuff for you in that point you know you could have gone back to the or they could have said hey we have to you know we're done now we have to go back to our village and you know that that but but then you wouldn't have gotten your big dramatic moment so yeah i don't don't know yeah i'll say it it works really well on you when you're like 10 years old or 11 years old (laughs) and like for me at the time i was like no my boys my sweet boys um but it's just um yeah, like playing it now, I can, I can, I totally agree, and I kind of wonder if this game was made now, if they would commit more to yeah. deaths. I mean, I'm not sure. Like I said, I, I haven't played every Final Fantasy. I don't know how they've done, how they mm. dealt with more deaths as they as the series has gone on. There are some know. famous ones. Var- uh, varies we- varies by the game. <laughs> <laughs> We've already mentioned them, um, okay, but yes, yeah. there. As, as I say, there is one in this game, and, and back to Jason Schreier from Kotaku, who says, Teller has been fighting alongside your party in hopes of defeating the Dark Knight and generally evil dude Golbez, whose brainwashed army of airships flung firebombs at a castle early in the game, murdering Teller's daughter Anna in the process. Blinded by grief and vengeance, Teller charges at Golbez, challenging him to one-on-one combat. We'd seen Teller engage in this sort of recklessness before, hours earlier, when he blamed the bard Edward for Anna's death and headbutted him in much the same way. But where that battle was a fast teller didn't even bother using magic this duel is deadly serious 
Teller wants nothing more than to see Golbez die no matter what it takes. After flinging a few spells at Golbez and watching them bounce off his black armour like rubber, Teller declares that he's going to use Meteo. His friends scream that this is a bad idea and that he should restrain himself, that it'll kill him. But Teller doesn't care. Fireballs rain from the sky and Golbez's battle avatar disintegrates, seemingly destroyed. But hey... As it turns out, Golbez is fine. He flees the room while Teller lies on the ground in a heap, dying from the energy he just spent. This scene has always stayed in my mind for several reasons. It's tragic, of course, in a game full of sacrificial fake-outs, Teller is the only main character to die for real, and with his last gasp, he manages to accomplish absolutely nothing. More importantly, Teller's death stuck with me because it makes mechanical sense. When your characters lose all their health, they're just knocked unconscious, but when one of them tries to use more MP than he actually has, he drains up all his life energy and dies. HP is physical, MP is spiritual. Well, of course he died. Meteo sucked the soul right out of his body. It reminds me I'd forgotten about the other fake-out deaths that happen right at the very end when the, the boss character uses Meteo on um, uh, Golbez and the, the old so, moon yeah. guy. Yeah. And they look like they're incredibly dead. Yeah. And then they just kind of get back up. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, oh, we're fine. We're going to the moon now. Going to go hibernate for partly the limitations of of the visuals of the age, isn't it? Just you know, a character who's in a heap. There's there is one in a heap picture, and it's hard to differentiate whether whether it's in a heap because they've been knocked over by a strong gust of wind, or whether they've been obliterated from from the earth. Um, yeah, uh, I think maybe my game. problem is not that Sorry. they do this the fake out thing, but that they do mm. it so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Major Gamer from the Kana Rinse Forum says, I need to mention how much I like Teller's journey of merging story and gameplay. He is locked to 90 MP and as a gameplay mechanic, it is to prevent you from using Meteor to clear away the enemies with ease. As a story mechanic, it is there to show he can't normally cast a spell this strong due to his frailty and he would need something more to cast it to try to get his revenge. Doing so led to the only real death of the game. As an oft-missed addition, Teller's level ups actually decrease his stats. This is something I wish games did more often. Treating story and gameplay as a combination of elements instead of completely separate entities. I did not notice mm. that. Yeah, he mm. he loses like stamina and strength huh. until they're really really low. I don't know if it, it what that really affects in a a mage who you're only using spells for. Mm. In the original version, you couldn't swap characters at all. Uh, but in later incarnations uh, from the GBA and DS, uh, you can actually customise your party for the final dungeon because you'll have enough characters to swap in and out. But this is the first game with five, isn't it? Um, five across instead of four. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Dusk versus Tweak from our forum says Final Fantasy IV was one of the wilder rides I had been on as a teenager. The graphics were basic for a SNES, never looking as good as the system would allow or could allow should say but the sprites still had a charm to them the story was crazy with characters fighting mighty empires and switching sides in dramatic fashion and the way the characters kept getting snuffed out blown up turned to stone it seemed like every character had a moment of self-sacrifice it was like watching a final fantasy written by some kids on the playground and then this character fights a dragon and this guy becomes good but his friend is bad and this person blows up and then they have a flying boat and then they go to the moon it's that sort of youthful abandon that keeps this story so much fun <laughs> so obviously this next bit Depends a little on versions. So those who go back to the Super Nintendo version, um, my impression of this game was, as somebody who didn't play at the time but played a lot of Super Nintendo games and still does, was that this game, obviously the the, the developer and the series had uh, made the step from 8 to 16-bit, but that actually, as 
many sort of franchises did it didn't really take take up all the sort of bells and whistles that it could have done in the move from NES to Super NES and it actually sort of betrayed its roots as a as a as an 8-bit series so it looks to me the original version looks perfectly pleasant in a you know in a sprite kind of way a bit more colorful than the Famicom versions but it was still quite basic and blocky and a lot of repetition and and angular and that sort of thing I don't know, I, I I find that and this is not uh, universally true, but for the most part, I find that Super Nintendo games kind of do hold up yeah. um, f- visually. Um, so I, I think it still looks pretty good. Um, the uh, PSP version, which is also, and, and also I guess the PS1 version, um, but they continue with the sprites and mm. They do have changes made, of course, but yeah. um, they also look. I played. Um, I think Leon, you and I, you and I both played the uh, PSP version yeah. this most recent time around. It's got redrawn, ups, yeah. up-resed somewhat mm-hmm. assets. Yeah. I played mine on. Uh, I played the PSP on the Vita TV. Um, uh-huh. which the Vita TV is uh, a neat little system. Um, <laughs> I, I got mine for something like $40, and I've not used it for very much, but I have definitely gotten my money's worth out of it uh, just for things like this. You can project this. your Vita, so right? I, oh, yes, I do have a Vita, um, but I mostly use that on you know on the train or something. I, I very rarely will just sit in my house and play a, uh, a handheld console. It's all I've done I'm, for the last one. Yeah. Unless there's something I'm really, really into. But I mean, I, I actually, I, I bought the Vita TV because uh, I needed a Persona box because I don't have enough of those. Mm. Uh, and it's a really good way to play Persona 4 <laughs> Golden on your TV. So right, um, right, right, right. Gotcha. I don't think that they make them anymore, but I do recommend it. Um, yeah. side, sidebar there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how I played mine. I thought it still looked really good. Even... Mm-hmm. Uh, the kind of cutscenes that they put into the PSP version did not. I mean, they you could tell maybe that they weren't, uh, you know, highest highest uh, graphical fidelity or whatever. But they still looked okay on yeah. you know blown up to a fifty five inch screen. They still look all right. <laughs> yeah, I think it's fair to say the PSP version had a fair amount of work done it compared to yeah. the Super Nintendo original. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, especially once once you're in battle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's a lot more detail to the sprites and such. You also, we should say, you have a choice between uh, the original soundtrack, which is purely emulated Super Nintendo soundtrack, or uh, a soundtrack that actually features some real instruments and some synthesized uh, music. So I, I, I experienced both. We'll come on to the music, obviously. Um, so that DS version, uh, obviously subjective matter beauty is in the eye of the beholder we had some <laughs> naysayers uh, as regards to the 3d uh, art on the uh, previous game in the series i've watched mm-hmm. a little footage of this and i'm pretty jolly glad i played the psp version <laughs> john <laughs> yeah i am looking at google images of the psp version right now wondering why i didn't play this instead <laughs> or yeah regretting the ds version uh, we the three of us who were on the previous show all talked about our our dislike for the little chibi figures in the DS version of three. And yeah, this is basically More pretty that. much the same thing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't like the look of the characters at all. And yeah, I, to the point where I've, I've done all of my sort of looking forwards to the next game. And I've decided that I'm going to play the SNES version of Final Fantasy V <laughs> because it, the remake on like the Android and stuff looks terrible. But I probably should have put that much forethought into this one as well. 
Yeah, and obviously, you know, we're at a point now, we're recording this in 2018. You may be listening to this far in the future, listeners, hopefully, if we're all still here. Um, maybe on the moon. Ooh. Maybe on the moon. <laughs> but we're at a point now where, as we record this, uh, we're very used to the resolutions that uh, high-number iPhones offer and switches and even 3DS graphics are starting to look quite chunky yeah. and blocky. And yeah. so a DS game... Uh, mm. looks even more that way obviously mm -hmm. the, the things like the windows version of that have you can run them at different resolutions and whatever mm -hmm. else but they still have that um you know that mid 2000s look about them so mm. you have a choice of versions to play um something else about the ds version so i, I picked it up um last week actually just to kind of dabble with it just to get some experience with it before the show and before the recording and um uh, some <laughs> i guess this would kind of be in in the line with like graphics and, and art style but I don't know if it's because it's processing so much more or, or what, but it's so much slower uh, than the, mm. um, the oh, I keep saying Vita, the PSP version. Um, mm. It's just, even if you cl click on auto battle, um, it just takes forever for even like the early on, like, you know, one hit and they're down uh, yeah. kind of fights. It just, it's, I don't know if it's, if it's just, like I said, because it's processing so much more graphics or whatever than, than mm. the originals, but it's just, it's such a right. longer game that way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Technical issues. Um, I suspect. Mm. Yeah. I suspect it does it's... notably chug as well, especially mm -hmm. back into yeah. the game when there's a Blimey. lot going on. Crikey. That's definitely one thing that doesn't apply to the PSP version uh, playing on the Vita. It's actually, it's got the legacy install option. Right. Um, yeah. As part, as part from when it was on a UMD. Um, I don't think it changes anything, but you can still actually uh, install <laughs> yeah. to the install or something. I don't know if it makes any difference, but overall, like every transition is really slick and swift from screen to screen screen is very little hanging about uh so on a technical level that's that's quite nice and what i did want to praise was yeah the overall look of the game is uh fairly s traditional standard uh eight uh, eight mm -hmm. 16 bit transition jrpg but the the sprite the character sprites are pretty cute and very recognizable like immediately yeah. distinct yeah. um there's a there's a, a little piece of art that I've put on the show notes here at uh, the top, which is little, um, yeah, it's more chibi-fied versions of the characters from the game, but you can, they're, they're all instantly recognisable from the 16-bit sprites that are in the game. Uh, there's never any doubt as to who anyone is, although maybe having two green-head characters was, uh, well, it's, it's not. Same it's the same character. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> she's, now a, she's now a hot lady. She was a child. Right. Um, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, yeah. But yes, cool sprites um, and the start of yeah the f yeah f f what many people probably consider the the these three games four five and six that were on sixteen bit systems uh, some of the sort of uh, the more timeless uh, entities of the series maybe so sixteen bit just seems to have aged very well in general especially compared to yeah. eight bit and then sort of. PS1 yeah. N64 <laughs> style graphics. Definitely. I think that's probably the main problem with the DS version is it looks aged now. Yes. Like those polygon models just aren't very nice looking anymore. Yeah, sure. It's just little flat faces <laughs> like in GoldenEye. Well, uh, music probably hasn't aged in quite the same way. As I say, the PSP version certainly has the option of the original 
Super Nintendo sounding soundtrack. Not sure what the DS version has. Uh, well, we know it's got it some had pretty full sounding music. Yeah, yeah. We actually we do know because it's got some some vocal tracks and things like that. Blue mm. All Day from the Kana Rinse Forum says the music. Oh, the music! I think most tracks are wonderful. Some incredible tracks. The Red Wings, the battle theme, the love theme, and the world map main theme are all earworms. Uh, in terms of the development up until Final Fantasy IV, uh, the games generally had one piece of music per map, but for this one, Iwamatsu focused on how to make the game more emotional and to have the music play at the right time. Uh, Uematsu noted that the process of composing was excruciating, involving trial and error and requiring the sound staff to spend several nights in sleeping bags at Square HQ. His liner notes in the OST were humorously signed as being written at 1.30am in the office naturally. <laughs> MH Ninja Bear, also from the forum, says the soundtrack is a treat. Nobuo Uematsu seems to have really hit his stride with this game and the use of the main theme in the final battle was exciting. If it didn't take me five attempts, it probably would have given me a huge adrenaline rush. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's, there's some bits about it that went on for too long. Like They generally, I think, in the DS version, they seem to have a different theme for, for various dungeons. But because that final whatever it's called, like Lunar Subterranea mm-hmm. or whatever, the mm-hmm. the cave that is, I think it's like nine or ten levels before mm-hmm. it changes to yeah. the crystals. Yeah. Because I spent hours yes. in that dungeon mm-hmm. and failed about three times yeah. fairly far in and restarted. Same old issues. That theme drove yeah. me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. This is the problem I have with, with JRPG soundtracks in general. Like as good as a melody might be, especially this era where the pieces don't tend to be that long, I end up having, I just have to mute them for sanity. So I end mm. up missing certain pieces because they play like in a scene. I, I try to turn the volume back up when, think, but if you've got into the thing of you've uh, been grinding through a dungeon for five hours or whatever and you've decided to listen to podcasts or have a TV show on in the background and then something happens in the game it's like do i now do i want to pause the other thing i do mm-hmm. I do for, for the case of for the for the sake of um you know diligence and whatever but it, you never quite get the same the same out of it when you're kind of you know muting something else to listen to the music and i don't know it's 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 a tricky one because this is it sounds like a diss on nobuo umatsu's work which is clearly unfair but actually the the form of soundtracks in jrpgs is can be a real problem for me Hmm. I mean, I spent I spent more than forty hours playing this. Like, it's not going to stay fresh for that long, no matter you know how good the music is. Yeah. It's going to get tiresome. This is a very specific complaint, but um, the the parts where I would back out and turn on a podcast, I only did it at one specific time, and it was when I was. Um, actively leveling like so just literally running around in tiny circles to to up my levels or to get money or whatever the case might have been and the reason that I did that was not because I didn't want to listen to the music but every but because every time you get into an encounter Mm. and then get out of the encounter that loop of music from the overworld or you know wherever you are at the time starts again so you're not you're not like listening to a full track you're listening to like the first 15 seconds of a track and then yeah. getting into a fight yeah. and then listening to that same 15 seconds again as just pieces like i torture. love the music for this game but like yeah. it in situations like that it's a little bit rough that's exactly what i'm getting at and this yeah. is a problem mm. i've had with the genre you know forever um and the battle music like yeah it's sure it's a cool piece and mm-hmm. but 
how many times can you listen to one sort of you know 25 second piece of music however long it is i don't mm. know i can listen to it a million times like i'm, I'm gonna be i'm gonna oh, be okay. the guy here um oh my god guys my jaw is open listening to you guys saying bad things <laughs> about the soundtrack like i know but i know not bad things but i'm, I'm just i'm being funny here but i just sure, sure. I, it's it's like I, I i don't know I, it, oh, sorry i'm a little speechless here it's <laughs> <laughs> good i like it bring on the passion um, yeah Defend i just <laughs> no, but see i, I can't tell it's not the music it's is... the repetition yeah. yeah no and i and i i totally get that I, and, and i can't i can't tell if this is one of those situations where it's like my nostalgia is so attached to this game that like when i so i hadn't played it in like 20 years or 20 years i guess or something at this point yeah, until yeah. recently for the show mm-hmm. for the recording and um and once I started hearing these these songs again, I was like, oh, I, I knew it. I was playing it back immediately in my head. Like, I just remembered oh, yeah. the entire thing. And I can't tell if that's because I played it so much back in the day that it's just, like, it's permanently, like, tattooed to my brain. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I that's just... completely I, legit. That's, yeah. You know, and, that's and, why and, we love to have a, a, a spectrum of experiences. But, sure, and, of course. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I'm coming to this in 2018 as a 40-something-year-old. You were playing it in 1990-whatever as a a 10-year-old. It's totally... Of course, it's going to be totally different. What I also will say is um, on on the... I I really do love this uh, this soundtrack uh, side of of this conversation is um, this game has a lot of the tracks that I kind of just associate with Final Fantasy music Mm -hmm. overall. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It... it's really the first I aside there are very good tracks in the games leading up to this but as a full soundtrack I think that this is the first one that really just overall nails it mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think that there is a weak track in the bunch cool there's some lovely mm. versions of the main th- uh, the, you know, the famous Final Fantasy theme. main theme mm. and the prelude mm-hmm. and and all this yeah. stuff and 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 it's absolutely all there but my the point is from my experience of playing this for 40 something hours is i have to mute it otherwise i go like it makes me angry and unhappy and that's quite a bad thing to say about some good music um and that's not uematsu's fault that's you know i guess that comes back to issues i have with with the genre as a whole maybe but yeah it's 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 an unsolvable one really Mm. it's it's the way that the game is designed that you have the music transitions very very sharply and mm. quickly and then sort of loops back round and it's it's jarring when you go into a battle mm. especially if you're in an area where the music's been fairly chilled out to then the music suddenly it just cuts and starts the new mm-hmm. music it just sound it just doesn't sound particularly aesthetically uh, like pleasing in that respect yeah yeah, yeah. And it's hard to have that probably thousands of times over the course of the game to not start to get a little bit grated by yeah. it yeah, and even if the transition was beautiful and they somehow managed to have on a 16-bit console in 1991 a, a seamless transition from one thing to the next, regardless of where you were and what tunes were playing, you still end up going to end up hearing the battle theme like a million times. And, and yeah. like, yeah. I, you know, as much as I love music and there are some songs I've listened to countless hundreds of times, but there are some battle themes in games I've listened to more times than some of my favorite actual songs. You know? <laughs> that's, that seems yeah. a bit, that seems a bit mad. Um, but it is because the games last as long as they do, I guess. Um, quick yeah. mention for sound effects as well. Um, I suppose the uh, extra oomph of the sound chip, the celebrated sound chip in the Super Nintendo allows, uh, allows for some more realistic sounding sword 
slashes and and things like that um but obviously we've all been playing different versions of the games up to this point anyway so i've i've not like actually played a an 8-bit nes sounding version of final fantasy ever so um so i haven't got so much to compare it to but uh, there's some I, I i do still have a real affection for certain um spell sound effects and stuff that they use in final fantasy sometimes they can be cute sometimes they can be uh, quite ominous uh not not just the explosions but some of the weird kind of warpy noises you get for things some of the kind of goopy noises for things like bio and stuff like that um so there's probably not millions of sound effects in this game outside of the actual battle effects of hitting things and Mm -hmm. magicking things but what is there uh i still yeah i enjoy it sounds of its time but it's effective to me when i haven't got it muted So, gameplay, does it benefit in any major way from 8 to 16-bit? I'm not sure there's anything in here that really I I felt was dramatically different. Obviously, the main the sort of headline addition is the active time battle. So, uh, now that, although the battles are still turn-based, in essence, uh, the, the game doesn't pause when you're accessing your next move. So, enemies can continue to act uh, and everyone gets to do their action based on uh, an increasing uh, bar, which uh, I don't I'm not actually saw, sure which stat or stats controls the speed of the bar. I know you can speed it up with haste and things like that, but um, that's perhaps the thing which the, the innovation which this game brings that is has the most bearing on the Final Fantasy legacy. Uh, but overall, the gameplay, I would say, is kind of almost indistinguishable from what's gone before. It's really hard to tell when you've only played remakes of these games that in in my experience, three and four are essentially the same because they've been remade in kind of the same engine. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I will point out about the active battle system is I find it incredibly stressful because you just, <laughs> yeah. you completely lose any of that sense of, well, I can just sort of take a minute to sit here and plan. Yeah. And it's interesting point, case in point was I, again, to put it back to that final dungeon um i think that part of the reason that i struggled a little bit towards the back end of the game was maybe because i hadn't um like customized my character's settings and stuff yeah. in an optimal fashion so when i i was trying to figure out exactly why i kept wiping you know three hours into this dungeon mm-hmm. uh, i was trying to figure out exactly why i was having so yeah. much trouble with some of the enemies and i went and um stuck somebody's let's play onto youtube yeah. and i think it was actually referred to as a walkthrough of the ds version yeah. and suddenly noticed that oh well you know it's it's saving this guy six seconds every time he goes to cast the heal spell because he's just got it pinned to the yeah. main bar yeah. and i guess maybe you don't need the mage characters to have attack at the top of that bar you right. can just kind of customize everything around and mm-hmm. yeah it's it made me feel like i was a bit of a chump for kind of just leaving um leaving the sort of default settings on things and adding a couple of augments, but not wanting to like stick too much stuff in there because it got cluttered. But I think that was probably, you know, very much to my detriment overall. This is where I'm really curious about how you Final Fantasy, uh, like major players, like people like Leo have played most of the games. Like how much of that micromanagement do you get into doing? It depends on the game. I I think that I probably had an easier time um, just because I have played so many of these games that have this type of system attached to them. So I kind of know... And and this game specifically, of course, that I have I have also played. I don't mess with that kind of thing 
too often in in the earlier games when you get to stuff like um the <laughs> the one that i'm thinking of most is uh is eight actually um mm-hmm. i do so much micromanagement in that game just because i'm so for i think that the more familiar i am with a game the more likely i am to try and tweak it to exactly what i want it to do yeah. just being extremely familiar with this type of battle system and and kind of how the flow is there like you pick up the more you do of it i think the more you pick up just kind of little nuances that help you through that kind of thing like i Mm. i wiped several times on the last boss because like i said i went in a little bit under leveled uh this time (laughs) around but um but also i didn't lose that much time because i knew that there was going to be a really long uh trip through this last dungeon so i backed Mm. out five or six times after i would do specific things like if i would get one of the the swords that you have to do a really big battle in, i would just bump out of the dungeon refill Mm. everything and save and Mm -hmm. then just kind of main path it Mm. down to where i was and you know just kind of do that I, i it's it's tough to say um just because i i don't think that i'm doing anything special other than just having done this a lot before um and and just kind of having habits i guess um but in this specific game i did not really um do that much customization menu wise but i the farther down you get into menus like if you are choosing a target sometimes it will pause and just kind of knowing it will pause the uh, the time battle gauges so like even just knowing something like that like if i can get myself into a menu and then take a second to think about it before mm-hmm. i cast whatever i need to cast um that becomes more important in the kind of in the back half of the game and in that mm. last set of fights in particular so yeah it adds another element of kind of strategizing to it as well because when you've got the bars going up and you can see that it's going to take this long for mm-hmm. um you know for rosa to heal you know can you quickly pick that um you know the guy who's been wiped can you pick him up quickly mm-hmm. with a phoenix down mm-hmm. and get him on his feet before the heal yeah. comes yeah. in right. yeah. um and yeah i i understand that that's probably overall is a good um improvement to the yeah. to the game but it definitely felt stressful i agree yeah. someone who's a bit more yeah i think you can chilled about can you it. switch it off can you can is there the option to not of? in oh i was gonna say not in this game but i'm not sure about the ds mm. version but i i know that in some of the later games it will give you kind of uh the one I'm thinking of is seven, and I, I don't yeah. know if it comes up any earlier than that. But you can kind of choose like a midway point to where yeah. when when the uh, meter fills up, it will stop everything while you choose what mm. you want to do, uh, or you can mm. just have it go a- as kind of a, yeah. a standard think, active time. Thing. I think the PSP version has that option. It might. I don't know. I I, yeah. I tend to prefer just the active time thing because it feels too slow to mm. me. Just yeah. Otherwise, for a lot of people. Yeah. Like mine, my first Final Fantasy was seven as well. Yeah. So ATB, you know, is feels normal to me. Yeah. But mm-hmm. but I t- equally, I completely agree with John. I I actually quite like playing these games almost like a like a yeah like a Final Fantasy Tactics or a Fire Emblem. Sometimes you kind of have to, or else you're gonna yeah. <laughs> you're gonna yeah. uh, have a hard time. Yeah. MH Ninja Bear from the forum on this says, I had heard before that this is the first use of an ATB system, and I was curious to see how it would function. At first, it seemed overwhelmingly fast, but after playing with the settings and making it stop when I accessed my items and spells, I was able to adjust with battle and enjoy, enjoyed the increased level of attention that it required of me. I did, however, have difficulty figuring out which character's gauges filled faster and determining when the enemy would attack. So uh, Mr. Ninja Bear there advocating the use of the semi 
sort of the semi-pause version, mm. I guess. There, one thing that I would say, uh, sticking back on this on this ATB system, that I don't really like is that how... So when you're attacking an enemy, um, if it dies and you'd already selected attack this enemy, they'll automatically switch to the next one that's still alive or at least closest to to them. Yeah. Um, but... If on the ver- reverse side, like if you go to heal someone on your team and yeah. then they get hit, they die, that heal doesn't move to someone else. It just doesn't work. Yeah. just doesn't yeah. happen. And I think that's like, that's kind of unfair in a way. Like mm. the, the only thing gameplay wise I would say is actually unfair about this game. It's how it, it, you know, works for one way, but not the other. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think there are some, there are some weird... This this is one of those games and genres where like I don't consider myself a JRPG expert, but I've probably played like a few thousand hours of them over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of stuff, weird stuff about them that when I when I try to think about coming to these podcast recordings, I try to think about all the stuff that I've just completely inured myself to because I've been playing these games for over twenty years. Mm-hmm. And actually, mm-hmm. we're also we're talking to an audience, probably mainly of people who are listening to the show, people who have played some JRPGs. They either like them or they don't like them. They know what they like or don't like. But for some people, there might be a you know there there might be a, a blank slate. There might you know, and it, it's actually hard to kind of to unpick your mind and say what are these weird things that we just accept about this genre because yeah i think there are loads of weird things about playing final <laughs> fantasy that i think if you took a young gamer now who'd never played one of a game like this they would just think why mm. why are you doing this stuff what is all this <laughs> menu stuff why doesn't it retarget stuff why isn't stuff happening all the time why isn't it real time you know all these things um, not just about the the look and and whatever else of them, but the actual gameplay is so antiquated now. Even mm-hmm. like obviously we're moving through the series, and this actually is only the fourth instalment that only came four years into this series. So we're, we're we are talking about a retro game, but actually some of this stuff that we we see in this game, and indeed it's stuff that was in Final Fantasy One, is still stuff that you see in JRPGs today, and. That genre is still. I know you know there have been innovations like more free freedom of movement in battles in Nino Cooney and Grandia and things like that, and the Tales series. But actually, there's a lot of tenets which were established early on here. And for those of us who have been playing that time, like I don't know, are there are there any elements for you guys which you some like exactly the one that Sean just mentioned, like things like that where you just think. You know, I I like these games and I'm used to doing these things. But actually, if I came to this game for the first time now, I would just be thinking, no. Actually, I was thinking of the same one that he said. Yeah, that's it's tough. Quality of life, as we call it now, stuff like that. There's there's loads of workarounds that I feel like you're doing constantly in Final Fantasy games, especially going back to them. Hmm. Another one I'd I'd probably say is that I think they've improved on this uh, since then, but at least for the PSP version, when you go through the spells that you're going to cast mm. i often forgot like what any of these things do so it was mm-hmm. like okay they turned me into a frog like what what is the thing that turns me back from a frog and then i have to like sit there on my phone like how did it okay so it's oh, maiden's kiss can, all right gotcha if you tap the right shoulder I button was, it brings yep. up <laughs> it'll tell you well you i'm an idiot <laughs> <laughs> this is but like it never that tells you that thing. it never tells there you, you that go. to be fair it's 2018 <laughs> where's my tutorial exactly <laughs> <laughs> you, i left it in 1991 um yeah it's uh, in the manual yeah no that that I, I also forgot uh, until I found that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, would, I think I pressed it accidentally. It, it doesn't, 
Yeah, sometimes it doesn't, uh, it's not always clear about, it kind of assumes that you know some things. um, Sure, yeah. uh, And and I think it's generally okay about most of it, or at least about showing you at some point what it does and and kind of how do you fix it. But like, I don't think it ever really spells out like this is what Asuna does in this fact is, the, yeah. you get right, turned yeah. into frogs as part of a story or mini or something I can't or was, no mini is in the previous game isn't it but you get you get frogged or toaded or pigged or something in this game and you have to fix it outside of a battle so that Ooh. sort of gives you your tutorial but again it's one of those things where if you put it down for a week between sessions or whatever you might think mm. um, I mean Maiden's Kiss obviously kind of makes sense to unfold sure, yourself yeah. I can't remember what the yeah. I can't remember what the pig one is it's like dark Diet ration. Yes, Diet ration, right. exactly. Yeah, so it sort of, yeah, it sort of makes sense, but yeah, yeah. At the risk of repeating myself. There's all this weird, arcane, Byzantine, quirky, ancient stuff that mm. we are even as you know podcasters, we're trying to think and express ourselves, and we don't want to patronize the fans. But equally, there's loads of weird stuff which we're probably glossing over just because we're so mm-hmm. used to it. <laughs> Talking of quality of life, uh, improvements. This was the first game that brought uh, save points in game in well, in dungeon save points. So areas, I think these were even in the non remake versions, uh, glowing areas on the floor where you can stop, use a tent or a cottage to get all your uh, stats back, your hit points and magic points, and save the game. Uh, these are dotted around even in the very very last rock hard dungeon there's two there's one secret one and one one that you can't really well you can you could avoid it if you weren't being scrupulous in your exploration but um there are places to yeah uh, rest up and and save and by the end i was certainly like i was hoarding 99 cottages just so i could <laughs> make sure that i was never <laughs> yeah. Yeah. never unsafe in that final fantasy style um but overall the moment to moment for me wasn't didn't really feel much different to Final Fantasy 2, say, but what did really feel like they'd come on a long way and the thing that made this game more pleasurable was the dungeon design was so much less uh, just sort of drab and frustrating. Like, it actually always felt like I was getting somewhere and I could understand where I was in the dungeons in this game and they made sense and they were a little bit explory but mostly quite guided. So there was less of that kind of... I've, have I been in this room? Oh, yes, it's one of those rooms with uh, 8,000 high-level encounters because I walked into an empty room by mistake. As a lot of that stuff's been, you know, game game design started to happen here. Yeah. <laughs> they still have some mean tricks up their sleeve, but... Uh... That's true. There are some forced encounters. I played mo- the vast majority of this game without any guidance, without either text or video walkthrough, but there were a few little bits... And I spotted someone, uh, or I was, I got, uh, I got lost in the final dungeon, and it's, it was yesterday, and I knew we were recording today, and it's, as John said, it's like eleven or thirteen levels or something, and it's really hard, and there's loads of high level encounters. So I watched this guy uh, playing it on YouTube, and he was tele- by the end, he was just teleporting out of most battles, like, and I didn't, I'd never really thought about doing that, like it seemed so counterintuitive, but he was sort of ten levels below my character's by the final boss and yet he wasn't even using a lot of the encounters in the latter stages to to level up because he was just fed up of fighting the same monsters over mm-hmm. and over again so i started doing that a bit as well and i'm thinking maybe this will be useful knowledge in in the future in playing through this series or maybe it will leave me horribly under leveled it, it remains to be seen 
I don't know. I think it depends because in the in the final dungeon, I did a lot of the same. Actually, I I ran from a lot of those later, like when mm. when the floors change and you kind of go into the lower part of that dungeon. It's just it became to me not worth the resources to fight them. Precisely, yeah, just run um, away every time. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, to to a certain point, yes, I do want the experience, but I mean, I. Yeah. I finished the last boss at um, most, I think the highest person, the highest level person in my party was, was maybe, four, no, not 40. That can't be right. Maybe it was. Maybe I was only around level 40. I think 40. you did say that. On, yeah. We were chatting wow. on Slack. Um, I think you were saying in your 40s because I ended up in, yeah, went yeah. into the mid I mean, 50s. I, I, I kind of, I kind of lucked into, because I, I did go into that last fight a couple of times and I had the thought of, oh God, I, I don't know if I can do this at my current level. I might yeah. have to, mm-hmm. I might have to back out, but um, I eventually stumbled on a pretty effective strategy, which ended up, <laughs> which basically involved leaving two of my party members just dead and just wailing okay. on them with the other three. I'm glad so. to hear that people who I think know about Final Fantasy do stuff like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's a terrible... um, Also, pro tip, um, chucking swords that Cecil used to use Mm -hmm. uh, with your ninja at the final boss do him an enormous amount of damage. So if you, you, like me, had sought out the the best swords in the game for Cecil and you'd kept the other ones in your inventory, if you get your ninja edge to to chuck them at the final boss, they do like 9999 damage in some cases. Yeah, that's basically what I ended up doing. I kept... Kept Rydia alive long again. enough to summon Bahamut, I think, once or twice. Yeah. Kept Edge yeah. long, uh, alive long enough to chuck everything I had at him and then yeah. just focused on keeping everybody <laughs> else alive. <laughs> That's, uh, that made me laugh. He's just like throwing stuff out mm-hmm. the bag. He's going, what have I got left? It was One like, of the uh, most powerful uh, throwing things in the game that you can get is um, it's called the kitchen knife and you can only get one of them and you can only get it if you do a very involved side quest with Yang after he leaves your party. So it's uh, it's pretty rough but it will really mess up basically anything you throw it at so it's kind of neat that that's there. Maybe think of the the end of the first series of Stranger Things. (laughs) There were actually a couple of optional dungeons Mm -hmm. that had... um, uh, oh yeah, you had to float around in them because of the they had sort of lava or acid yes, or something. Yes, the on passage the floor, of the Eidolons was... and the Sylph Cave. I spent right, yeah. mm, many many cave, hours. I... <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, did them both in the end. This is where because I kind of lost interest in the story because the redemption arc had ended a quarter of the way into the game. <laughs> this is where I really started to get fed up with Final Fantasy IV. Like on some level, I was, you know, still getting something out of the slow leveling up and feeling after you know many many hours but this is the point where i'm actually starting to question do i like this genre of game does this <laughs> genre of game have to put you through i go through hours? that a lot <laughs> okay i just can't help thinking and i've again i've been playing jrpgs for a couple of decades or more and i find myself thinking would i get as much out of the leveling up if it was just all truncated by about 75 percent you know, so everything took a quarter of the time. So instead of having to go through a dungeon four times and then backing out and coming back in and going through all the random encounters again mm-hmm. and going off and restocking and saving, like mm-hmm. would I would I enjoy these games less as much or more if they just didn't demand so much repetition? And my hunch is more, <laughs> but <laughs> but I don't know. 
uh, I don't know if there are any. Are there short form JRPGs? <laughs> <laughs> it also could be a, a time and place thing. Yeah. Like you know, sure. back in the day, there wasn't much like it, so I was just blown away by this whole thing. But you're playing it now in 2018, and and you've yep. seen so much. You know, advancement and time pressures as well. Yeah, and exactly. Other yeah, game pressures. Yeah. It is. This right. is why context is always so important. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. How do you guys feel? Play. Mm-hmm. You know, you're all playing it into 2018. Um, mm-hmm. You have different histories and experience with it. But did you have that kind of, you know, respect my time kind of thing going on, or, or what, <laughs> or not? I mean, this is still a genre that I really like, and mm-hmm. while I definitely acknowledge that there are some things that are dated and maybe have been, well, definitely not maybe, have been improved upon in subsequent years, I have commented more than once on this playthrough of the game that I'm enjoying it so much more than I thought that I would. Just, I I really got Mm -hmm. sucked back in. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't know whether that's just because of my history with it. I don't know whether it's, uh, whether it's just, like I said, that I I do kind of favor this kind of game in general, but I I didn't really feel, and I didn't, there were there were things that I had issues with, like I mentioned. I mentioned the Sylph Cave, which is a nightmare, but um, and you know the final dungeon being really tough. But I I had a good time overall, so I I don't I don't know I mm. I'm not exactly going to hop right in and play a new game plus right now, but um, I <laughs> am looking years. forward to playing five. Yeah. So yeah, right, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. See, I I feel less excited about five. I have actually made a start. Oh, five's um, so good though. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> That's good to know. But yeah, it is, as I mentioned earlier, the, the pacing, and I know this is a weird one because it's a game and therefore pacing is a certain amount down to you, but as well as the the layout of the story with the redemption coming so early, and then I also found that the game, and I've read it I've read it somewhere, that it, the idea was that this game was meant to require less grinding to make progress um and certainly in the remake i think the idea is that you should you know you should be of a level to be able to continue just based on going through the game but i found that i got to a point where exactly it was the underworld Mm. where i needed to level up like 15 levels or something really to Mm. get to go to go on so there are these two optional underworld areas and it absolutely is worthwhile in terms of making progress easier later on to get the extra summons and extra weapons that are available via side quests. But I ended up, after spending 15 hours getting three quarters of the way through the game, I ended up spending 25 hours on the on the next sort Inside. of... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. And and that to me is just, it's it's weird, but I maybe it's by design. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Like I wanted to do all the side quests and I wanted to get all the best gear and especially that final dungeon it has basically every character's all of their best gear but yeah most of it if not all of it is hidden behind either trap chests with really mm-hmm. tough enemies in them or boss fights which yeah. you could just completely skip and there's something like six really really tough bosses in there Did that them you all. could yeah. just not do any of them if you wanted to yeah so i guess yeah it's it's, it's on you and if you decide to do it then can you really be angry? Well, but <laughs> right. then there's the fear that if you haven't done that, you're in trouble. Like you're not going to be able to finish the game. So I'm coming from the point of view of somebody who, uh, by you know, I've I've made the rules, but I have to complete the game. <laughs> so, so I can't. I, 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 I get it. I can't go. I can't get to the end boss and then go. Oh well, I'm not strong enough. I have to. I have to be strong enough to to beat it. 
Yeah, so, with, with me going in there at a low level, if I had not boosted my character's equipment, I don't think yeah. I would have been able to finish it at that level. I because I mean I went through all the the optional stuff yeah. too, and you know you get some very powerful swords for both Cecil and Edge, and yeah, yeah. It, well for everybody really, but yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, it's it's tough. I mean, there especially in that latter half of the game, it, it's it's not super easy. Yeah, there was one point where I was looking at the completion time on how long to beat and thinking, oh, I'm going to come in well under that. I, I guess I'm mainlining it. But then in the end, I really didn't. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, I was looking at the what I knew was the end game, the final dungeon, thinking, oh, that'll be a couple of hours. And it was, yeah. And Leon, Leon yeah, said something in day. our Slack chat about how, yeah. um, how he thought he was in the last quarter of the game. And I thought... I, I had this point had not finished the game my, my playthrough either and I thought you know that doesn't sound quite right like I, I remember <laughs> the end of the game being a lot longer than that yeah I was looking at bullet points ahead, oh, yeah, no, I uh, by that point just to see if I was going to get it done and it was like mm. yeah there's only three areas left to do but yeah it didn't say in that section oh by the way <laughs> by the way <laughs> the last hour is going to take you for... all of Saturday <laughs> until one in the morning yeah mm. Yeah, so there are, as I say, extra optional uh, quests for weapons and summons. Uh, Bahamut is definitely worth seeking out, as is yes. Leviathan, Asura as well. Uh, mm. But there are also four hidden summons, which uh, you can only get via rare drops. I never saw any of these. Imp, Mage, Cockatrice, and Bomb. Is that yeah. only in the DS version? I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure I've gotten uh, them in playthroughs before, but sure. I did not get them in this one. Mm, okay. I, I never saw any of them. They might be really rare. I did get some gear as hidden, like obviously rare drops. Yeah, which protect I rings don't and things think, like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't think the game itself was, or the um, I was looking at. I think it was just an IGN like real basic guide for yeah. some of the bosses when I was getting to them, and there were bits in there where it was like, oh, you get in this chest, you get the what is the best whip for yeah. um, uh, Ridia in the game, and. You know, five minutes later, I defeated a dragon. And I got a better whip as a as a drop from the dragon, which I'm sure was a random thing. I was like, that's weird. I'm sure that guide said that that was supposed to be the best one. <laughs> Another question for you, uh, other players, because I'm always interested in how people play these games, because I, I also mm. wonder if that affects how much, you know, one enjoys them. Sure. So yeah. I use the optimal setting for optimal option for kitting out 99% mm. of the time with a few... <clears throat> Uh, with a few manual adjustments to make sure that the right people have got the best gear kind of thing. But again, watching a, a segment of that final dungeon playthrough with the guy, he didn't, again, as as with so many playthroughs, he didn't sound like he was actually having a great time, but he was <laughs> he was micromanaging his inventory mm. and his, and his uh, kit, you know, his gear. Um, so, yeah, uh, John, what do you do in this regard? I I think this falls back to what I was saying before that I suffered a little bit from not changing up my um like my settings and stuff on my right. um like the the commands you get on your screen and mm -hmm. stuff and I was watching I was watching this let's play as well and this guy was changing after every few fights he'd go and change out the um like the spells and stuff he had on like the quick yeah. menu and even to weapons and I kind of didn't really get it until I had what I knew was supposed to be one of the best swords for Cecil and started attacking something and it, the thing must have had like resistance to holy or reflect holy damage or something right. and it was just healing him instead and you go through a couple of rounds of that and nullify all the damage that you've done and think, oh yeah, I probably should have kept that one mm. that was previous. It was only slightly less damage for situations. I like mean, this. you're just shooting yourself in your foot at this point, John. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> 
but that i mean that also goes back to what sean said earlier about um like the if you try to heal somebody and they go down it just sort of still wastes their heal yeah i found that i had yeah. the same sort of issue with the enemies where um you'd get a bunch of enemies all together and you'd go to attack one they'd get killed beforehand so you'd automatically attack another and you'd either attack something that would like reflect the damage mm, or mm -hmm. it would heal it instead yeah. or it would attack something that you wouldn't want to attack because they do ridiculously powerful counterattacks to physical damage and that yeah that sort of shot me in the foot quite a few times but uh, there's a weird flip side of that as well where there was a boss earlier on who it said in whatever that after i bashed my head against it two or three times i went and looked it up and the guy in the walkthrough said oh it it casts some weird combination of spells on itself uh, so it reflects or you know um heals from almost all damage but you can feed it a couple of elixirs and that kills it oh so mm. yeah i think there's a lot of nuance that yeah I, it's probably more um trial and error based than you know knowing things off the top yeah. of your head i know mm -hmm. there are some curious uh, sort of secrets and things uh, as regards to the way you deal with certain enemies and status effects and things mm -hmm. that they've they've squirreled away in there and again i, th I think mm. it's stuff that real final fantasy fanatics tend to know micromanaging leah uh y yeah i i did with my gear and everything i didn't often change things kind of mid-fight i was more likely to um if if i ran into a situation where um there were multiple enemies and you know you don't want to um kind of pile everything on i was more likely to just kind of slow down and let things play out before using my my attacks that would immediately pop up um yeah or use defend um just to make sure that i didn't do that but um but yeah no i just everything about kind of trial and error uh, I, one of the uh, correspondents mentioned earlier um about about how they their strategy was basically hit it with the sword and then hit it with the sword again there are <laughs> definitely uh, there are definitely some places where you can't do that or yeah. i mean if you if you try then you're either going to get wiped out or just have a really really yeah protracted battle because some things are very resistant to physical damage some things shield themselves against it there is an optional summon very late in the game that you have to do before you can get bahamut that or no i guess it's before you can get leviathan um but you you can't really do enough damage to it to kill it unless you cast reflect on it because it continuously will heal itself if you don't so it's uh, yeah. yeah it's there there's it does require maybe not on a surface level but it does require enough knowledge of the systems that you can do stuff like that once you find out that maybe your tactics aren't aren't completely effective in certain situations mm. Sean, when you were a kid mm. uh, and you were being blown away, was part <laughs> of that uh, enthusiasm reserved for the 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 actual, you know, the the minutia of the gameplay? And, and um, does that do you bring that forward to Sean twenty eighteen version? <laughs> kind of, sorta. Uh, I, I, I as far as like like kidding out my team, um, I almost always would just hit the optimize button, just give me the best or or what it is generally saying is the best and then um it wasn't really i kind of remember this uh back in the day too and certainly recently it wasn't really until the fight where you have to um it's basically a boss rush between the four elemental bosses and mm -hmm. it's that second one the uh i don't know its name um the big giant one with the cape that does a lot of fire damage um yeah. so I, I was sitting there going like i know how to beat this guy 
I know how to do it. Like I'm, I'm doing the right things, but I'm not doing it fast enough. And I, and it was like, how do I fix this? So I, I figured out like back in the day, I kind of remember like as a kid, like, I'm like okay, I, you can actually change this, the order of things around your menu screen. So I never really did it for the, the main attack, defend, whatever that kind of menu, but the actual menu of spells that you do, you have hmm. to, I had to do, put all the cures up top for Rosa and then, you know, all the different ways you can kit those things out. And specifically that, that's what kind of, that was really the only real customization that I did. But I also appreciated how, how these things, as you're talking about the minutiae of the gameplay, like the, you know, how certain spells will, will yeah. counteract others. Um, I did, I, I thought that was really cool. Back then, I still think it's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I dig it. I, I don't really get too, way too deep into it. Like it's probably something like Lily does, but um, I into it. Yeah. So there is a new game plus or a new game star. You get a little star on your save game after completing. I think this was true even in the Super Famicom Super NES original. Uh, you can carry certain abilities over, but uh, one of the things that was added at a later stage as of the uh, Final, uh, Final Fantasy IV Advance GBA version is the Lunar Ruins bonus dungeon. Uh, so there's a face on the moon, which I noticed straight away when I went up there. It looks like the famous uh, face in inverted commas on the Mars surface. Uh, when you complete the game, it opens up. And you can go in there and grind some more if you really want. <laughs> uh, there may be awesome reasons for doing this, but uh, well, I, I ran out of time and enthusiasm. Anybody else? I didn't play it this time around. I think that I have yeah, before, but I don't have real great memories of it, to be honest. Yeah, it seemed like one of those what, why things. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> if you if you love... there's I, I mean, there's a bestiary to fill out in probably post PS1 versions, I guess. Um, I got 71%. Uh, and there's obviously there's some rare monsters and monsters that only come up in certain areas and presumably a few variations that are in the in that part of the game. So if you're somebody who wants to complete your bestiary, that may be necessary. I don't know. Dusk versus Tweak from the forum just says the game will never be my favorite in the series, not even in my top five. But it's not hard to see why it has so many fans. Just a few three word reviews, starting with John. Uh, magical isopod says Zeromus, who's that? Good question No, I agree <laughs> <laughs> MH Ninja Bear says Dark Knight Redemption Will Cross says Squares Path Forward And Craig McAdam says You Spoonie Bard Yeah, and I mean Spoonie is a real word meaning unduly sentimental or being sentimentally in love so it is a real, <laughs> it, it, it's right he is a bard and he was being Spoonie um, it was just a very odd translation, but it's not a random incorrect one. It's just slightly quirky, and I'm glad they've kept it. Uh, Magical Isopod from the forum says Final Fantasy IV is such an interesting game for me. It sits right on the boundary of love it and hate it, but I wouldn't say it's average either. It has a lot of really great ideas, but doesn't really know what to do with them. It's got a huge cast of characters that rotate out in service of the story, but very few of the characters are fleshed out or interesting. It's got a hard shift in tone from medieval fantasy to this really industrial sci-fi tone, but it's done without narrative to justify the shift in a convincing way. It's got great music for the most part, but a few tunes are quite grating. The battle system is mostly fun and engaging, but the game has several difficulty spikes that require excessive grinding to overcome. Some of the artwork is absolutely mind-blowing and convincingly otherworldly, and some of it looks garishly 8-bit and ugly for Super Nintendo standards. 
To me, Final Fantasy IV is something of a prototype. It's the transition from the dull, numbers-driven affairs on the NES to the narrative-heavy sagas of Final Fantasies V through X. Several of the ideas they experimented with here were implemented in later games to much better effect. It has an important place in history for being a narrative turning point for the Final Fantasy franchise, but as a standalone entity, it's kind of half-baked. Nice critique, thank you. Magical. And Blue All Day says... My anticipation for this game was off the charts in 1991. I was nine years old and I pored over the Nintendo Power issue that featured the then known as Final Fantasy II before release. I made sketches of dragons, giant squids, Cecil, Rosa and of course Kane. Kane was immediately my favourite character. I don't think I'd seen a design like that before. The mere fact that I would be able to have a party of five warriors completely blew my mind. As soon as it was released, I had my dad take me to the rental store. I completely lucked out because they only had one copy and it hadn't been picked up yet. I played it that entire weekend. I was immediately gripped by the music the SNES was pumping out. The horns chirped while airships flew over a Mode 7 world and I was in. My dad ordered some pizza and I had already seen tragedy, met an old sage and come upon a castle in the middle of the desert. That weekend, I took Cecil through Mount Ordeals to become a paladin, was so upset that my favourite character Kane was a turncoat, and finally made it back to Baron. It took me a few tries, but I was able to make it to the story sequence where Palom and Porum sacrificed themselves to save their friends. We had to return the game after that, and for a while I was completely consumed with thoughts of Final Fantasy IV. What would happen to Cecil and Rosa? Would Kane ever turn back to the good side? How would the heroes defeat Golbez? I later got the answers from my friend Joey, the other big Final Fantasy fan at my school. When he mentioned going to the moon, I think my head exploded. I wasn't able to own the game myself for a few years. I rented and played the same parts over and over because naturally other renters would delete your game save and sketch characters, scenarios and battle screens in my notebook. When I finally owned a copy of my own, I played through it twice, very quickly. To this day, it is the one Final Fantasy that I have played through the most. This game holds a special place in my heart. And ultimately, that is my favourite kind of feedback, even though it's, you know, it's kind of, it's obviously tinged with, well, maybe not even though, because it's tinged with so much nostalgia. And Sean, did you write that? Actually, it sounds like... I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds like your experience. <laughs> I wrote the previous one. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, I could have written this one. Well, I couldn't because Andy's a great writer, but uh, I wanted to start my summary with Andy Corrigan's uh, piece from IGN, a little bit from it from uh, last year, who says the game starts so strongly thanks to one of the series' most complex protagonists and has a theme that plays interestingly not only off its vast cast but also at times its systems and mechanics too. Yet that patchy second half with left-field twists, wasted plot threads and shallow attempts at evoking emotional responses meant that only a semi-decent final hurrah prevented it from leaving me cold entirely. It feels like a game with which the development team agreed to hold absolutely nothing back to leave no idea unused, and though some of those resultant ideas stick remarkably well, there's a lot that just feels rough or lacking, almost as if still in draft, waiting refinement in entries I've yet to cover. Final Fantasy IV is a solid RPG for sure, but sadly it's not the series classic I'd anticipated. And yes, that sums up my feelings on the mm. game ultimately i was excited at the start i thought i was really going to have something to get my teeth into everyone not everyone a number of people had said this is where the series really picks up in the 16-bit era square really starts to find its feet and i think you know that's arguably still true but that weird 
thing with the story that I can't get beyond the fact that I felt like I'd had the story arc I wanted after about 15 hours and then ended up with another 30 hours of game or thereabouts including some of the most repetitive grinding so the story's ground to a halt I'm grinding in every sense and maybe not every sense um, and <laughs> uh, uh, and I found myself wishing I was playing something else a lot and that is not a good sign I did still have the same compulsion as I've had with all the entries so far that I've played which is the comes down to wanting to get the better sword and have the higher numbers come out of the enemies and still getting a certain amount of pleasure of seeing them disappear off the battle screen but Really, I just found myself thinking, why do you have to fight the same monsters so many times to make progress <laughs> in this game? Why is that fun? Is it fun? Should I be having fun? Are other people having fun? Why aren't I playing Street Fighter or something different? <laughs> um, so, yeah, but that I mean, that sounds harsher than I perhaps feel. I didn't I didn't despise it. I just I just got bored. I got fed up a long way before the end. And that's disappointing. Hopefully. I'll find more to enjoy in the next installment, Final Fantasy V. How do you feel about job <laughs> systems? Yeah, I can get behind it, but we'll see. So yeah, not recommended for newcomers, I would say, but recommended for those who loved it back in the day, clearly. Uh, John, a newcomer. I think I'm probably fairly similar to what you've said, Leon. Uh, I Ultimately, I enjoyed playing this, and I think a lot of that is basically that I just enjoy playing video games. Like, yeah, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is this is what I enjoy doing. This is what I like and I I do have the compulsion of wanting to fill up the numbers and I don't like leaving things un, unturned and you know, I don't want to go past that chest even though that I know that opening it is going to give me a fairly small upgrade to a sword that I don't really need but also require me to spend 20 minutes fighting a really horribly <laughs> overpowered boss. Um <laughs> but you know, you can still force me to do that like 12 times in the last little section of the game and I'll still do it. Um, I, I've said lots of times before doing this series that I'm not a huge, um, sort of JP, JRPG aficionado. I've not played a lot of them and, you know, I have now done three of these games back to back since the beginning of the year. And I feel like my enjoyment overall has been waning a little bit because I've, I've kind of, I've had my you know, I've, I've had my appetite sated a little bit. I was excited about this because I didn't really know very much about the Final Fantasy games at all. And I kind of, I'm in that point where I do now know what they are and I understand yeah. them and I appreciate them. And I agree with, again, what Leon said about it's just getting a little bit more boring and frustrating as it goes on. Yeah. Um, but once again, I'm I'm looking forward to continuing and you know, by all accounts, the next couple of games in the in the series are, are some of the best, and they're the ones that I'm really excited about playing. You know, part of the reason I wanted to do this was because I've always wanted to play six. Yeah. But it would seem strange to me to play six, but not have played one to five before. So yeah, I guess that's that's my goal that I'm working towards. So, I mean, yeah, uh, I'm I'm still enjoying this, but with caveats. I feel exactly and, uh, the yeah, same. I couldn't and I recommend it to other people in my position. 
when we we always stress context and again one of the things that we need to stress about this is that we are playing these in an unnatural way which is completing mm-hmm. one every two months is not normal obviously it works for podcasting but it does also it is also going to affect our our uh, experience of them i'm sure for good and ill good in the sense that we have more of a handle uh, on what came last but ill in the fact that games that are already by their nature even to those who like them i think repetitive is a word that you might <laughs> you might apply to them um that is going to be magnified so yes do bear that in mind listeners leah yeah i don't know that that's going to affect me so much i'm a little bit on the weird side there <laughs> but um yeah i so i i have kind of directly and indirectly mentioned that i think that this is really where the series kind of becomes what i think of as final fantasy um i don't I I have varying degrees of appreciation for the entries that come before uh, Final Fantasy IV, um, ranging from it's okay to uh, I do not really want to ever play this game again. But um, <laughs> I, I I really enjoy Final Fantasy IV, and uh, despite coming to it later than um, anybody who would have played it on the Super Nintendo, I... Um, I, I guess I don't have as big an issue with it feeling dated or too grindy or anything like that. And I, I'm not 100% sure whether that's because I have so much experience with the rest of the series mm. or whether it does fall kind of in a standing on its own merits type of uh, type of thing for me. Um, but what I will say is that I have enjoyed it i think pretty much every time i've played through it uh and this most recent time i spent i i I think my playthrough was maybe 27 or 28 hours and it was great i i actually enjoyed it i have brand new games sitting on my shelf that are um you know just sitting there a little bit longer because Mm -hmm. i am playing this 20 year old you know more than 20 year old game um the, the port itself is almost 20 years old i think um but yeah, I I think that I might recommend it to somebody who was a newcomer to the Final Fantasy series, maybe not to somebody who was a newcomer to JRPGs in general, right. uh, with the caveat that, yeah, it's not going to be the easiest game, but I think that there's enough there that you will find it rewarding, and um, if you don't play the... 3d version then it's it's a good looking game even still and the music is great i i i like the characters um so yeah i with with smaller caveats i i do recommend the game um and i had a great time i'm looking forward to final fantasy 5 lovely very nice let's finish with uh, the childlike enthusiasm of show <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it's uh it's kind of hard for me to separate my feelings about this game like from the nostalgia like it's just it's it was such an important part of my um gaming history uh, you know going back to a time when a system that i absolutely adored and it's one of my favorite uh games from that system back then and honestly replaying it this uh last month um i was wondering or i was just curious like am i still gonna enjoy it and because it's been literally decades since i've played it Mm. um i've owned various versions over the years but still never really like full-on playthrough uh am i still gonna enjoy it and yeah i totally still do um i i can 
absolutely recognize the, um, I guess problems that it has, uh, as, as far as stuff that you guys mentioned. Um, and I can recognize that it's, it's maybe a bit, um, disrespectful of time of, of a player's time, but I don't know. I just, I still find it so charming and nice to look at and just absolutely incredible soundtrack. Uh, in my opinion, I just, I, I can't get enough of it. I, ever since replaying it, I've just kind of, uh, popped on YouTube playlists of the entire soundtrack nice. and, and just swaps in there at work and, um, but again, if that, that could just be a totally nostalgic thing, I don't know. Uh, but it feels to me that I still, I could still enjoy this game, uh, almost as much as I did back then. So yeah, I mean, I, I'd recommend, uh, people give it a chance. Um, I, I kind of agree with Leah's idea that, uh, if you want to get into Final Fantasy, this would be a good spot, but maybe not JRPGs. I think that's a good, sure. um, a good way to separate the recommendation but yeah i still i still love this game uh, tremendously wonderful that's excellent well it remains for me leon to thank leah sean and john as well as all of our correspondents editor jay and to all of you for listening if you've enjoyed the podcast please do remember to give us a review or a rating on the uh, apple podcasts or itunes store that you can subscribe if you don't already uh, and best of all, you can support us with a Patreon dollar, patreon.com slash cane and rinse, a dollar a month or more helps uh, keep the show happening, basically. And you get little bonuses, early shows and an extra podcast. Next time in issue 324, still the remake by which all others are judged. It's our Resident Evil 2002.